Walk into the lobby of the Britannia Hotel in Didsbury and you'll find a familiar scene. An oak reception desk, checkered carpets, the clink of glasses coming from the bar and the faint whiff of chlorine drifting in from the pool. You'll hear the hustle and the bustle of guests coming and going. And Amanda, a far-right activist, live-streaming it all to a brain crowd on YouTube. This is the Manchester Weekly from The Mill. Hello, I'm Daryl Morris with Yoshi Herman, creator and editor of The Mill, Greater Manchester's quality newspaper delivered via email. Hello, Yoshi. Hello. Good to be on uh, my first podcast of the year because I missed last week. Jack took over. Everything seemed to have gone well, but I'm back. Yeah, we did. We coped remarkably well without you, Yoshi. (laughs) Don't know what that tells us. This week, we've got a really fascinating story, haven't we, Yoshi? We're going to hear for the first time from Harry Shookman, who's written a piece from some of Greater Manchester's hotels. Yeah, this has turned out to be one of our more popular weekend reads. Harry has spent weeks digging into this slightly disturbing trend of activists who blog online and and, and post videos online of them effectively harassing asylum seekers, you know, hotels where they've been put up. It's a really interesting story. It's a joint bit of work that we've done with Scout, which is Harry's uh, newsletter about the rise of the far right. Um, Harry spends some of his time reporting on that topic for Scout and and kind of looking at the new ways that the far right is organising, the new ways it's communicating online. And because Harry works for us part-time as well, we're going to be doing some joint work on it. And I think this is the first story in a series. And I think the fact that it's gone down so well um, shows it's, you know, it's it's an area that people care about about okay we'll meet harry shortly firstly let's get to your briefing shall we and get you armed with everything you need to know this week uh, we've all watched the political drama haven't we unfolding in westminster these last few months allegations of parties and lockdown breaches it might yet have ramifications for the prime minister but this week yoshi it did have ramifications for the people of Bury south Yeah, so Christian Wakefield is the MP for Bury South. He was elected by about 400 votes in the 2019 general election. Before that, he was the Conservative group leader at Pendle Council. And today he became a Labour MP. He defected. He decided that he had had enough of of what's going on in the Conservative Party. Um, We don't know a lot about his motivations, but clearly this is massive political news. I mean, whenever uh, an MP defects, it's, it's, it's a big deal. This seat is interesting because it is one of the Greater Manchester seats that is regarded as a sort of red wall seat, i.e. it was one that was in Labour hands um, and now it, it, it turned into a Conservative seat at the 2019 election. Some Labour activists, I'm sure, in Bury South will wonder whether Christian Wakefield necessarily shares their values. I'm sure there will be some interesting debates and interesting local meetings in the weeks ahead, which we'll try to cover. Um, But yeah, this is a big story and it moves the focus of this whole party's um, story in Westminster to the sort of electoral side, which is there are these seats that were very narrowly won across the North, in particular the North, but also the Midlands. Um, seats that were taken from Labour by um, MPs who represented part of this sort of new guard of Conservatives who won with um, the backing of mostly white working class voters who voted for Brexit and who thought Boris Johnson was their best chance of delivering it. Um, And now all eyes will be on whether those seats can be held by the Conservative Party. And the fact that Christian Wakefield doesn't think clearly that he can win the next election as a Conservative um, might be indicative of some uh, wider trends. 
And, and one of those seats as well, Yoshi, is Bolton Northeast. Uh, long-serving MP David Crosby losing his seat to the Conservative Mark Logan with a, a slim majority of just a couple of hundred. And we've long trying to figure out how this whole party story is playing out in places like Bolton Northeast, Yoshi. And some focus group research may give us an indication. Yeah, the focus group that was done last week by a former pollster for Theresa May is really, really interesting because it gets the views of voters in Bolton Northeast, and they were almost uniformly negative about Boris Johnson. The thing about this seat is, is it's a little bit less of a kind of traditional Labour seat. Like it's been a, ever since it was created, it's been a bit of a swing seat. Yes, it was Labour before, but before that it was Conservative. But the quotes that, that came up in this focus group were kind of incendiary. Like one person said, I quite liked him, referring to Boris Johnson. Johnson at the beginning. I felt confidence during the pandemic and that he was doing the best for all of us. Now it's like we've been made a fool of. Uh, there's another quote that says, he seemed like a bit of a character, again referring to the Prime Minister. I thought, give him a chance, but it's definitely changed my opinion, referring there to the parties. So you often kind of see these quotes in articles where the MEN or the Guardian goes to a particular seat that the Conservatives won at the last election and asks people, well, would you vote for him again? And you always kind of think when you're reading those stories, yeah, you know, they're the ones that that newspaper has found. You don't even know how rigorous that research was, you know, luck of the draw who you find on the street. Particularly, you wonder, well, the people who are willing to, you know, criticise the Prime Minister on it to a, a journalist are probably ones who didn't like him in the first place. This is different because it's a focus group done by a pollster who is, you know, in the past worked for Conservative Party. And, you know, it's done in a very rigorous professional way. And it finds this very, very T. Boris Johnson um, response. And it finds a lot of disillusion, really, uh, disillusionment with, um, with, with this government. So, yeah, a couple of really interesting sort of stories coming out of, of, of Greater Manchester's newly conservative seats. Definitely one to keep an eye on. And in amongst all that drama in Westminster, Yoshi, uh, some announcements about Plan B restrictions being eased across the UK in the next couple of weeks and some important COVID news from Greater Manchester's hospitals as well. Definitely. A lot of people have had their appointments or their procedures in Greater Manchester delayed in recent weeks. There were some delays in December, um, but there were even more a couple of weeks ago. So people have been anxiously waiting, when can I get my appointment? Because they had what is deemed a non-urgent appointment. Well, this week, the Greater Manchester's hospitals uh, restarted elective procedures. And that means people will start to hear from their hospitals that they can come in for the thing that they had delayed. Not everything was delayed. Lots of procedures went ahead. But it's it, that's definitely good news. And it's a sign that hospital bosses think that the Omicron wave has, um, you know, passed its peak. It certainly looks like that in the, in the case rates. Um, which are falling very, very fast now, you know, talking like down 50% in Greater Manchester, down 50% in the country. And I think crucially, and we always talk about this, the number of COVID-19 patients in critical care is um, is currently 45. And that's down from 56 last week. And the important thing to remember is this time last year, in February last year, there were 170 um, such patients. And it just doesn't look like this wave is going to get us anywhere near to that number because the numbers have already started falling. So that's really, really good news. And speaking of restrictions, Yoshi, the debate about Greater Manchester's clean air zone has intensified this week, hasn't it? It has. And this week, we had a meeting in Greater Manchester where effectively the leaders in Greater Manchester decided that they were going to go to the government and say, 
we might need to delay this scheme a bit. It was due to launch on the 30th of May. And for the people who haven't been following this, this was a scheme that came about from the government issuing a legal direction a couple of years ago to say that Greater Manchester had to introduce what is called Category C charging, um, which means that commercial vehicles like HGVs, buses, coaches, minibuses, taxis, vans, um, private hire, that kind of thing, that don't meet um, quite stringent um, NO2 emission targets would be charged. That was due to launch this zone in Manchester, which doesn't affect all normal car drivers, but it affects those commercial uses that I just mentioned. It was due to launch on the 30th of May. But in recent weeks, we've just been hearing increasing noises that, you know, actually there are a lot of concerns locally that people won't be able to afford the newer vehicles that they need to get, that this might come at a really bad time because of the cost of living crisis. You know, there was a a quote out of the Greater Manchester Combined Authority that said, global supply chain issues could increase the cost and reduce the availability of cleaner vehicles and therefore more work is needed to understand whether this could create significant financial hardship um, for commercial vehicle users. So Greater Manchester has asked for for a a review. Um, They want to do a joint review with the government to sort of identify a a revised policy. Um, So this is very much um, up in the air at the moment. And when we're on the subject of buses, Yoshi, a quick nod for a story that we talked about last week. Tracy, the bus driver, who was sacked for being too short. Yeah, she was. She's she's five foot tall. She was one of Greater Manchester's first ever female bus drivers, and the company that she worked for scandalously said that their redesigned bus meant that she couldn't reach the pedals without kind of causing a blind spot, and effectively that she was too short to uh, to do her job. And as you can imagine, it caused a huge you know outcry. Twenty five thousand people signed a petition calling for her to be reinstated. There were even people gathering outside the depot where her tribe hearing was going to be heard you know she appealed the decision I mean it's you know it sounds kind of (laughs) funny in a sense because it's about something so trivial like her height but it's also you know it was her job and and she didn't want to lose her job so there's been a big backlash and now the company have you know reversed their decision they said that she can work on different buses not the redesigned ones that have caused this problem and they've described her as a valued and long-serving driver. So all's well that ends well, but obviously that was a bit of a bit of a shock for Tracy Scholes. Mm, justice for Tracy. Okay, Yoshi, for now, thank you. Now, on an overcast summer day in Didsbury, guests mill around at the Britannia Country House Hotel. The reception staff are dealing with guest requests, lost room keys and far-right activists harassing the asylum seekers that stay there. The Mills' Harry Shuckman has been watching on and joins us now. Harry, hi. Hey, great to be here for the first time. Oh, a pleasure. Congratulations on your debut, Harry. And quite the story that you're going to take us into here, my friend. Introduce me to Amanda, a.k.a. Yorkshire Rose. Amanda is one of a number of far-right activists who in the last 18 months have been visiting hotels across the country to get in the faces of staff and guests because they believe that asylum seekers are staying there. Beautiful, beautiful, posh area. It's sort of like we've been walking around the streets then and you could hear a pin drop. And Amanda is live streaming all of this, Harry, being egged on in the comments by people. What exactly is she and people like her? What are they doing? 
Okay, so activists will turn up at a hotel acting on a tip-off from a local resident who's angry that their nearby Holiday Inn is being used to house refugees with a smartphone in their hands, either filming or live streaming to their fans. Uh, activists will try to gain access to the reception and ask to book a room. This aims to show that the hotel is booked up with refugees and closed to the public. Then the activists will get in the face of staff and shout questions at migrants. Have a look after you, well. Nice food, nice food. Why, why don't you like us filming here? Excuse me, would, would you like to answer some questions? If they're live streaming, they will get support from their viewers who will give them advice on how to converse with hotel staff and police if police turn up. And things can get pretty heated in those comments. One fan of Yorkshire Rose's videos advised her to go back to the Britannia Hotel in Didsbury and torch it. Goodness me, wow. I guess, Harry, to understand what's going on here, you have to understand who these people are. And there are a couple of groups, right? Because there's Yorkshire Rose, but also Britain First, who are a familiar name, I imagine, but do lots of this kind of thing too. Exactly. There are three sources of hotel monstering that I looked at in my article. And Yorkshire Rose seems to be the most prolific, but also that there was Britain First, which is a traditional far-right activist group and political party that has the power to contest elections. And there is a third activist who um, works on his own called James Goddard, who you might recall as being the influencer who was uh, given a restraining order for harassing Anna Subri, the MP, and calling her a Nazi. He's also been given a restraining order from contacting a journalist at The Independent. So a lovely character. And, and what kind of points are they making, Harry? These activists are hammering the issue of migrants being housed in hotels in the same way that they did with the Asian grooming gang scandal of uh, the last 10 years or so, that as they would see it, indigenous Britons, the term that they use, white indigenous Britons are being overlooked in favour of migrants from Asia and Africa. Depending on who you ask, this is either waste of taxpayer money or something much more sinister. And this feeds into the conspiracy theory that uh, white people in Britain are facing genocide and that this century will be will become a minority in, in this country. It ties into this wider conspiracy called the Great Replacement, which contends that white Europeans are being existentially threatened by the immigration of non-white people from overseas and that this is being coordinated by sinister shadowy elites who are trying to eradicate the white race so it's all it's all quite far-fetched and we'll we'll come back to that conspiratorial element as well shortly harry because that's really important isn't it as is james goddard an important name and also representative of how people build personal brands don't they as well as these groups like britain first yeah i think that that's exactly right that really speaks to how 
the far right today is what researchers call post-organisational, which means that in addition to the sort of classic old days of the National Front and the BMP, which were structured organisations made up of beery racists, you've also now got internet influencers like Amanda from Yorkshire Rose and James Goddard acting alone, finding common cause around certain issues and growing audiences of tens of thousands of people. That brings us neatly onto Nigel Farage, who's probably one of the most household of household names, the most personal of personal brands. And he is important, isn't he, in this story, Harry, because he has been to Manchester, to some hotels in Manchester, but he's also part of the hotel monstering origin story. So let's find out what's going on here in Bromsgrove, but I promise you... Whatever we see here today is but the tip of the iceberg. This is a trend, as, as far as I can tell, that began with Nigel Farage. He popularised uh, the format that hotel monstering uh, has taken up since then. So in, in his first video, Farage turned up at a hotel acting on a tip from a local resident and tried to book a room and was turned away and had a testy exchange with a receptionist included in his videos slow motion footage lingering on Asian men who they saw walking around the hotel grounds this is the format that monstering videos have now taken on Farage's one was a bit more uh, subdued and polite obviously the ones done by Britain First and Yorkshire Rose can get a bit more confrontational the thrust of Farage's video was that the housing of migrants in hotels uh, raised questions about government transparency and taxpayer value but the activists who have picked up on this trend have taken things one step further and that's where a lot of the conspiratorial stuff comes in you come here illegally and this is the kind of thing you get and all this does is send an advert out to the rest of the world that britain isn't just a soft touch it's a great place to be illegally You can also see, Harry, on some of these videos, can't you, that staff and hotel receptionists at some of these hotels clearly quite upset and flustered by this. You have spoken to some, haven't you? What what do they say? Yeah, it's it's one of the more distressing things to see about these videos is that the staff and sometimes the guests are getting pretty visibly upset by by what's going on. It's quite hard to get in touch with the staff because of the strictness with which their bosses enforce a no talking to the press policy. But I did manage to get through to some receptionists. One hotel near uh, Heathrow Airport uh, outside of London, the receptionist described the monstering that she received as a really nasty thing, describing how her hotel was not something that needed to be exposed. And a a quote that uh, that has really stuck with me was that she told me that everyone has the right to stay and be protected, whoever they are. This is a really interesting sort of new-ish drumbeat, isn't it, Harry, that these far-right individuals and organisations have started to play. And obviously using YouTube and technology and video and uh, ways of reaching a new audience. How successful is it in recruiting people? That is a question that is quite hard to answer at this stage because, well, when we spoke about how today's far-right is post-organisational you know what does recruitment really mean does it just mean gaining a new follower does it mean becoming a paid up member of an organisation clearly these videos are really popular among their intended audiences the frequency with which 
activists like Yorkshire Rose or the ones from Britain First are putting these videos out suggest that they are finding fertile ground among uh, among viewers and potentially new members that we're still seeing uh, hotel monstering videos 18 months after Nigel Farage first raised the issue uh, suggests that they are useful propaganda material for for activists and, and groups like this Mm. And and Harry, this is quite common, isn't it? That those on the extremes of politics will take an issue that's relatively mainstream. I mean, asylum, the process of seeking asylum, etc., is often discussed in the news, in Parliament. They will pick it up and use it as a driver to the extremes and extreme conspiracy theories, like the one that you mentioned, the Great Replacement Theory. Right, so when uh, Britain first posted about a visit to a hotel in Derby, lamenting how an 11th century Saxon country house was being used to put up asylum seekers. Their fans were taking this as evidence of a conspiracy theory called the Kalergi Plan, which ties into this quite outlandish idea that the uh, white populations of Earth are being threatened by miscegenation that this idea that that white people will one day be made extinct by the immigration and sort of intermarriage with foreign populations and it's part of this wider conspiracy theory that white people are being threatened by genocide and so the uh, fans and members of Britain First see the hotel issue as evidence that they are being eradicated in a white genocide. Goodness me. I also have my own run-in with Patriotic Alternative, Harry, which is one of the groups that we've mentioned that, that are part of the sort of orchestrated efforts. I, I host a radio show and a phone-in radio show, and they have on several occasions done a sort of a storm on my radio show where they will call up in large numbers, all of them trying to sort of push this message really and get a debate going and get themselves airtime on a mainstream radio station at one point my image was being circulated on a telegram group where they were discussing me and my radio show and there was an image of me with some knives surrounding them and whilst that isn't really comparable with the experiences that the people at the hotel are having both the receptionists and the asylum seekers but it can be really scary it's incredibly intense and incredibly scary yeah, and what that calls to mind is how well-versed in using new technology far-right activists can be. And clearly, the live streaming function of YouTube is a way that the activists can talk to their followers and get advice and, and, and encouragement on going in to visit these hotels and, and how they are also using that technology to communicate to harass you when you're on air. Hmm, very interesting. Okay, Harry, plenty more where that came from. Harry, you're going to do some more writing for the mill on the far right, all as part of your other project, Scout. Scoutnews.substack.com is where you can find a little bit more of Harry's work, and there'll be plenty more where that came from on the mill over the next couple of months. Manchestermill.co.uk to subscribe. Harry, for now, thank you. Thanks for having me. Okay, Yoshi, take us into the mill newsroom. What's on the horizon? Well, big news in the last couple of weeks is that Jack Dalhanty has joined on staff. You guys spoke last week about his very sad story in Bolton, but you know Jack's been writing for us for three or four months now. 
he actually wrote his first mill piece last summer came to us via one of our members who taught him uh, feature writing at MMU so he's now graduated he's joined us on staff and yeah it's really brilliant to have him the other thing that that I think is worth mentioning is a great story we're putting out this weekend. It's a sad story, but it's a sort of gripping read about Rochdale resident um, who was killed in Bangladesh and basically didn't get justice until the local MP um, got involved and um, went over there and, and tried to work out the what, what was stopping this case from coming forward. And it turned out there was real corruption involved. So we've got a great piece by... Matt Baker, who was the aide to the local MP and who who went out and did the negotiations and has written a really gripping feature for us. So that's coming out uh, this weekend. Excellent. And a nod, Yoshi, what should we be doing in and around Greater Manchester? Well, my one is going to be reading a couple of books I've really enjoyed, um, which were both shortlisted by the Portico Prize this week. One is The Outsiders by James Corbett. He's a writer from Liverpool. He's written for a lot of newspapers as well. And it's just a really um, interesting account of a moment of huge change for Liverpool in the 1980s around the Toxteth riots. Uh, The other recommendation from the same shortlist, um, one that I really liked, was Andrew O'Hagan's Mayflies. It's a novel about a a bunch of um, Scottish young men who come to Manchester for a, a sort of a big night out to see a few bands that they like which sort of chronicles their their friendship over their their lives I won't sort of give it away but I'm, I really enjoyed that one so two two novels that were, were listed for the Portico Prize which is obviously administered from Manchester and um, both well worth a read Lovely. And my nod for the weekend ahead is a workshop that's happening at Chapter One Books in the Northern Quarter, all based around Picasso and Picasso's paintings. A teacher will take you through step by step how to create your own Picasso. You can pick out some of your favourites and beginners right through to people who've got lots of painting experience can get involved. Looks really good. So if you fancy giving a go at some cubism and some surrealism, then Chapter One Books, Saturday in the Northern Quarter, which in itself is lovely, by the way, a regular haunt on a wet afternoon for me right in the heart of the northern quarter okay yoshi for now thank you thanks to harry as well don't forget manchestermill.co.uk is where you subscribe for more news deep dives and recommendations of things to do in around the city that you love get a new quality newspaper delivered by email manchestermill.co.uk 